Well, I'm excited to be with you this morning. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. Put a smile on your face. It's going to be a good day this morning. Um, we're in this series about coincidence. Uh, and a lot of people think, and I've, I've said this enough already, but a lot of people think that coincidence is just a random series of events. Um, and and the, the, the common feeling like around church people is that coincidence doesn't exist in the Bible. I've heard it said coincidence is not a kosher word. Um, but actually the word coincidence or, or, or what that, what, how we understand coincidence is used one time in the Bible and Jesus used it in telling the parable of the Good Samaritan. He said, just by coincidence, this guy walked down a road. Uh, but his word coincidence uh, is maybe um, uh, understood differently how we understand coincidence. The way Jesus used the word coincidence, by, by chance, by coincidence, man, this man walked down the road, uh, is, 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 a, is a compound word that means uh, the, these, these events orchestrated by an almighty. And so if events are orchestrated by an almighty, that's different than how we understand coincidence, right? Because the way we kind of understand coincidence is just this random chance, this random events. Well, Jesus uses that word coincidence, but he says there's nothing random about it. See, here's what I know. Having a belief in God means coincidence cannot exist because the cause is never unknown. Does that make sense? And what we've done in this series is look time after time, and we've got, we've got a few more to go, in, in the Bible where from the outside looking in, it might look like coincidence. But when we jump into it, we see that in actuality, God is orchestrating events. Now, if that's how God did it back then, if you got a good Bible, it says that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And if, if, if that's how God did it back then, guess what he's doing right now in your life? Orchestrating events. So today we're going to look at, in the Old Testament, a passage from 1 Samuel 17. And 1 Samuel 17 is the account of David and Goliath. And if you've been around church any length of time, even if you used to when you were a baby, you had a drug problem because your parents drug you to church every Sunday. <laughs> uh, you pretty, uh, probably heard somewhere along the lines, David and Goliath. Here's, here's, what I, here, here's the underlying point of the whole thing today. God orchestrates someone lowly to bring a victory. And in that, he whispers to us of a true warrior. See, here's, let me just say this. When we experience victory, however you want to define that, some good happens. That good, that victory, that success comes from God's hand, not ours. We are the lowly. He is the warrior. Matter of fact, his Old Testament name, one of them is Jehovah Saba, which means God, our warrior. So God orchestrates events in a lowly one to produce a victory, so he gets the credit as the warrior. That's exactly what happened in David's life. The point of coincidence is to point us to Jesus and to highlight him, not to highlight us. In all your victory, in all your successes, in all the things that go well, stay humble, my friends. 
because it comes by the grace of God from his hand, not from your ability. All God has to do is take his hand in favor off and you'll come to terms with how able you are. Here, here would be a fun exercise for some of you. Go back to your social media threads. And after something has gone really, really well, some victory, some success, go through your, your posts and go look at how humble you were. Perhaps some of us have been taking God's glory and placing it on ourselves, highlighting what we've done. The contemporary Jewish Bible says this, I am Adonai, that is my name, and I yield my glory to no one else. The NIV version says, I am the Lord. And I will not yield my glory to another. So when God orchestrates someone lowly and produces success and victory, it's so that he gets glory. You understand? So we got to be real careful in our successes, in the good things, that we don't erroneously give a little bit of credit to us. Because God says, I ain't going to share my glory with nobody. So if you start stealing my glory, I know how to cut that off. Now, as a Christ follower, who is also a coach of young ones, I absolutely pray for the success of my athletes. Because what's the alternative? Pray for their defeat? I'm not going to do that. So as a Christ follower, who is also a coach, I oftentimes pray for the success of my athletes with this little caveat. As far as they pass the glory on to him and keep none for themselves. I don't need a team of a bunch of arrogant little boys who are hyping themselves. What I want is a team of young men who understand from whom their ability comes. So let's be careful right up front that if we call ourselves Christ followers, that we don't fall prey to highlighting ourselves. Perhaps... What we really want is to Jesus, for Jesus to be my follower, not for me to be his. Maybe, maybe, maybe we want Jesus to follow me through my day and to show up on my behalf in my events, in my meetings, and highlight me by giving me victory. How contrary to the kingdom. So 1 Samuel 17, this young boy named David, who sought no glory for himself. His daddy's name was Jesse, and Jesse had eight sons. And three of Jesse's sons, the eldest ones, were in the military. The youngest, David, was not only not in the military, he wasn't even with the rest of the brothers. He was out in the in the fields, taking care of sheep. And so let me introduce you to this, to this event as recorded for us in 1 Samuel 17. Quite a few verses we're going to go through. It's on our app. If you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn 
in there to 1 Samuel 17. It's also on the screen here. That's what the Bible says. Saul, this was the first king of Israel, and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. These were their enemies. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out from the Philist, uh, of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. <laughs> it, when's the last time you measured something by a cubit and a span? I'm, uh, it, that's nine and a half, uh, nine, that's nine feet, nine inches tall. That is a big fella. All right? Nine feet, nine inches. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale, arm, of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. That's 125 pounds. The armor he wore was 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze uh, greaves on, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. The spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. The iron point the, at the tip, of the, the tip of the spear was 600, that's 15 pounds. So the thing that you're going to throw has a tip, the tip itself weighs 15 pounds. How big is this man? Take an eight-pound shot put and try to throw it like a baseball. You won't have a, an elbow anymore, right? This is a big hombre. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? You don't ever fight me. That's what he's saying. Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. But if I ever come him and kill him, you'll become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day, I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. An enemy force had invaded the land, the Philistines, and was common in that day. It was a representative battle. So they would get one representative from each side, and they would fight each other. And as goes that battle, so go the subjects. Whoever won that battle, the individuals would either would, 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 would share in the victory, and the one who lost, the individuals from that camp would share in that defeat. They would share in the fate of their champion, their warrior. And the Philistine camp had Goliath, and the Hebrews had... Damn, David, he's watching the sheep. Damn, anybody... I mean, it says right there, their king and all their camp was dismayed and terrified, right? So the Philistines had Goliath, and the, the Hebrews had nobody. And so in, in, in chapter 17, Jesse's three eldest sons are at the battle lines. They're part of the nobody. And Jesse's a little concerned, wants to know how his boys are doing, so he sends his youngest, David, away from the sheep, down to his brothers, check on them, see how they're doing, and bring daddy back a report. It was just by coincidence 
that David happened to arrive at the battle lines right as Goliath was taunting the Hebrew army. And David noticed something. Nobody, not a one, wanted to fight Goliath. You know what's interesting to me about that? The Bible says that when Saul was picked by God to be the king, the Bible says that Saul was a head taller than anybody else in the land. And so you got the tallest, biggest man for the Philistines taunting the tallest, biggest man of the Hebrews. And King Saul is petrified. They see the size of the enemy. They know the reputation of this enemy. And they just consider it too risky. And Goliath taunts the Hebrew army for 40 days and nights. Comes out in the morning, taunts them, and taunts their God. Goes back, takes a nap, eats some some bacon because he's not a Jew. And uh, this kid comes back at night, taunts him again. 40 days and nights. Now the Israelites have been saying, do y'all see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. And he'll also give him his daughter in marriage. And this is worth the fire right here. Exempt his family from taxes. That, taxes are killing us anyway. Might as well go down as a hero. <laughs> now David, who just by coincidence, just by coincidence, God had prompted his daddy's heart to go check on his sons. Just by coincidence, he had this young boy who was not part of the army sitting around out in the field. Just by coincidence, David happened to show up as Goliath was taunting the army. So David asked the men standing near him, what, what's going to be done for this guy who, who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. When coincidence happens, we have a choice to focus on the difficulty in it or the opportunity in it. We got a choice. Every one of those soldiers by coincidence, happened to be in the military on those lines at that time. And every one of those soldiers saw the difficulty in that circumstance and coincidence. Do you understand? David saw the exact same thing, except he didn't see danger in it. Here's what I know, and here's what we have to understand. An unrecognized coincidence is an unclaimed victory. An unrecognized coincidence is an unclaimed event. See, the soldiers saw the events and saw difficulty and danger. David's focus was on the coincidence that God had orchestrated, and he saw, saw the opportunity to show God off. And if we don't recognize the coincidences, the events that the Almighty is putting together, we will forever live with unclaimed victory. You understand? Because all we'll see is the danger and the difficulty, and we'll stay paralyzed by the events. 
And so part of what I think God wants us to understand is that we must see coincidence in spiritual terms, not just in physical terms. So watch what David does. David said to Saul, don't let anybody lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Those are pretty bold words. David never been in a military engagement in his life. Now, it's one thing to say someone should go fight. I think everybody in their army would have said someone ought to go do something. Right? It's a totally another thing to say I will. And here's what I know. Our world... Our culture, and oftentimes God's church is full of people saying someone should. And very few say, I will. Because only the, 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 the only people who can say, I will, are those who understand coincidence. Interpret coincidence as God's invitation to join in his activities. That's how we should understand coincidence. It's God's invitation to join in his activity. Anyone in the army could have seen that coincidence. I just happened to enlist, and all of a sudden this Goliath shows up. Like, like we weren't in this war when I enlisted. <laughs> Any one of them could have seen that coincidence and have capitalized on the opportunity. But David was the only one with faith and boldness. See, the others saw coincidence as something bad and something dangerous and something fearful. David saw coincidence as things orchestrated by God to bring about a great victory. It's a difference of mindset, a difference of perspective. One was a biblical worldview and one was a worldly worldview. David said to Saul, look, I've been keeping my daddy's sheep. And I've run into some problems keeping a sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. David is a bad dude. Now, I've been hunting, and I've run into bears, and it is frightening. And not once yet have I grabbed a bear, and I'm not Daniel Boone or David Crockett. Robert, you understand what that's like. I mean, not grabbing a bear by the hair. Maybe you have. I don't know. You're pretty tough, but... Like, it's not something you do. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. When you begin to look at the world and look at life and look at circumstance and coincidence with a biblical worldview, here's what will happen. You start to see history as orchestrated coincidences leading to destiny. You start to see history 
All history is, all your history is, is orchestrated coincidences that are leading to destiny. Just like the lion, just like the bear. David looks back and says, all those were, were orchestrated coincidence. It was no coincidence by chance that that bear came and took my sheep. It was no coincidence by chance that the lion came and took, all those were, were orchestrated events that God used to lead me to my destiny. I mean, just look back on your own life. With this type of view, can't you begin seeing how God has orchestrated things in your past? And most, of, a lot of it for good? See, a, 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 a biblical worldview means my history is the setup for my destiny. So just let that sink in. So what that means is right now, whatever just coincidentally is going on in your life, God wants to use, turn that to your destiny. Don't be scared of it. See, God was preparing a lowly shepherd boy to become a giant killer. And he was using a series of coincidences that happened out in a lowly field. I guarantee you when David was out in that field, he had no idea what those events were being orchestrated to produce. The only thing he did know is the circumstances and coincidences I'm facing right now, I will be faithful in because it's going to lead to something. And we run into great trouble when we experience circumstances and coincidence that are contrary to way, the way we think things ought to go and we stop being faithful to the God who is orchestrating them because we can't see how they'll turn out for our destiny. So whatever that is right now, just be faithful in it because God works those things together for his glory, our good, and your destiny. And so I ask you, what coincidence are you in right now? What's the circumstances you're facing? What are the lonely fields you're sitting in? Watch for those and be faithful because those can be setups for your victory. That's a biblical worldview. Now I want you to watch how that biblical worldview starts to build confidence and faith. Just watch how God works all this stuff together. This is David talking still to Saul. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. He says, look, God's done this in the past. God's done this in the past, and because of what God has done, and because of what God has done, I know what God will do. And the coincidence from a biblical worldview, and the coincidence from a biblical worldview, starts to produce greater and greater and greater faith for the future. David moves from someone should fight, to I will fight, to now I will kill. See, when we see coincidence as random acts and events, it leads to fear and worry and superstition in us. But 
when we see coincidence and circumstances as events that God is orchestrating, it builds faith and fearlessness in us. You got nothing to fear. Do you understand? See, Christ followers ought to respond differently to difficulty and perceived danger. Christ followers ought to respond differently. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer and closer to David. He looked David over and saw he was a little more than a boy, like me, glowing with health and handsome. Just kidding. Just kidding. I was like, put myself in the Bible. And Goliath despised David. And he said to David, Am I a dog? Did you come at me with sticks? You, you notice how, how Lemmy just tries to win by intimidation? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. In essence, David says this, I am here in this moment as a man on mission. I might be young, I might be inexperienced, but I am a man on mission. Can I adr just address one thing that every man needs? There's a few things men need, but let, let me address one that every man needs. Every man needs a mission worth fighting for and willing to die for. Every man. needs a mission worth fighting for and that he's willing to die for. That's outside of himself and beyond himself. In other words, a kingdom agenda. This is part of every man's heart because it's part of the heart of God. And God said, equally so, Man, I'm going to create you in my image, and woman, I'm going to create you in my image. And part of the heart of God is the heart of a man, and part of that man's heart is the necessity to have a mission worth fighting for and something worth dying for, because that's exactly the heart of God. That's why Jesus came to earth. And men, without a mission worth fighting for or willing to die for, will live aimless, self-centered lives. And young boys who don't learn this early on will become feminized young men. And old men who have never learned this will be adolescents their entire life. And the danger of a father who doesn't understand this, learn this, and embrace this, is that if he is blessed with a son, he will not be able to produce this as a man. And if he's blessed with a daughter, she won't recognize this 
in a man to marry. So men, perhaps the coincidence that God is orchestrating around your life is for the purpose of leading us to a mission worth fighting for and something willing to die for. Understand? And so David says, this kingdom thing going on right now, it's worth fighting for. And it's so worthy, it's worthy even to die for. And it's no surprise to me that he was standing in front of a culture of men who had not learned that yet. And they were feminized and weak and would not fight. I like this story. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Man, look at what's happened to David. Coincidence that has served to highlight who God is. See, this battle, this very battle, is what brought about David's great blessing. Now, he was already anointed as the next king when this happened. That means, he, though he was anointed already, he was still stuck in the back 40 tendon sheep. Though he was anointed, he still wasn't chosen yet of the people. And it was this battle that initiated his blessing. But David didn't fight Goliath for the blessing that would come. Because he wasn't self-centered that way. David interpreted the coincidence of being at this place at that time as the opportunity to make God known to his huddle. Do you understand? It was all for God stuff. David knew, if my huddle, if these guys in my life don't have the faith or the trust in God right now, I will believe and I will have trust for them and they will see God do a victory in my life. That's the point of coincidence. This biblical worldview became powerful only when it was matched with action. Notice, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from its sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with it. Huh. This is a bad shepherd dude. I want you to understand something. A biblical worldview 
without action is simply a theologian. Doesn't accomplish nothing but talk. When you know that the coincidence is God's orchestration of events, run to it and take action. David didn't panic. David didn't hide. David didn't wait for others to jump in and join him. David ran towards the giant. Do you notice something? Where in this account did David pray about it? Nowhere. I realize sometimes I'm really impatient. But when I know that thus says the Lord, and I invite people to jump in with me, and they respond with, I'm going to take some time and pray about it. I'm like, okay, fine. Hope you can catch up. Now, I'm not saying don't pray. I'm saying pray on the front end. So when you see coincidences being put together, you jump in right now. See, David was known as a man after God's own heart. You know what that means? That means this, have a mindset from the outset that God orchestrates events and invites me into them. And the moment he invites me, I jump. Do you understand? I wonder how much kingdom stuff has passed kingdom men and women by because they couldn't recognize it on the front end and they spent too much time talking about it and praying about it and asking others about it and it passed them by. If David didn't take time for a prayer meeting and to update the prayer chain and ask all the other prayer people around the country to pray about this battle, when you know, you know. Here's something. Here's my suggestion. Start saying yes to everything on the front end and make God tell you no. Here's the church's problem. Too many people say no on the front end and make God convince them of a yes. How about this? How about we start saying yes on the front end and let God tell us no? That's dangerous, though. That means there are some men who need to take some action. God's greatest desire is that his kingdom be established on this earth. His greatest desire is that his will is done on this earth. And God orchestrates coincidences to highlight his kingdom dominion and rule. All coincidences are meant to highlight him and draw attention to him. See, not only do I see in 1 Samuel 17 this incredible account of a man, a young man following a great God, but I see Jesus all over this. I mean, just, just think for a minute. This is a shadow. This whole story is a shadow of Jehovah Saba, our warrior, who would take on flesh and do exactly what Jesus did. Just notice, don't, don't read the Bible and miss Jesus. He's all over the Old Testament. David and Jesus both were representative of their people before the enemy, right? 
Whatever happened to the representative happened to their people. If Jesus stayed dead, guess what? So would we. But as our representative, beating death, guess what we get to do in him? The enemy of the people dominated them through fear and intimidation. Guess what the devil wants to do to us? Dominate us through fear and intimidation to make us ineffective, passive people who sit on the sidelines. All this is, all 1 Samuel 17 is, is a story of Jesus and his conquering of the evil one. David and Jesus were both sent to the battle by their fathers. David and Jesus fought the battle without human strategy or conventional wisdom. The Bible says that the foolishness of the cross is the stumbling block for the wise. It doesn't make sense. David and Jesus both fought a battle where the victory was assured before the battle ever started. Do you understand? Coincidences in your life are intended to orchestrate and highlight who Jesus is and what he's done. See him and recognize his hand and trust his orchestration. Because he is the God of victory. Because he is the warrior. And he's orchestrating things for his glory and for your blessing. So in all these coincidences, in all these circumstances, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you go into them with boldness and confidence, not with fear and trepidation. You, Go into them and do not be discouraged and do not be dismayed. For the Lord our God is with us wherever we go. You go into them as a man and a woman of action. Acting on behalf of your father who is orchestrating these things. For his glory and for your blood. And don't you let nothing make you dismayed. Do you understand? So go from here and start lopping off some giant heads. With a smile on your face and joy in your heart. Father, thank you. I thank you that you've not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Father, forgive us for shrinking back too often into a spirit of timidity that you didn't give us. Give us eyes to see. And the faith to understand that you are orchestrating events and circumstances and coincidence. Ultimately for your glory. God, help us understand that you've called us into a mission worth living for and even worth dying for. Your kingdom. 
Thank you, Jesus, that as you have gone, so we will go. Past death into life. While we're here on this planet, call us. Let us respond. As people who run to the battle lines, as people who live out the power of your kingdom. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your encouragement. And God, I look forward to lopping off some giant heads so you get the glory. In your name I pray, amen.